0: Let's move on, and as uh, Pastor uh, Derek has mentioned, uh, we are in our second installment on the book of 1 John, uh, so let's stand together, and um, we are going to read 1 John chapter 1, just six verses, 5 to 10, and this is what it says. This. Yes this, is the, yes, this is the right... Sorry, I was a little lost there for a moment. And this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Let's pray together. Father, we pause today and we thank you again for your tremendous exhibition and demonstration of love in, through, and as Jesus Christ. We thank you for the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit that takes everything you've done in Jesus accomplished in him and makes it possible and applicable and available in each of our lives. And Father, we pray now that you, your that same Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit would enable us and would give us ears to hear, minds to understand, hearts to comprehend, but particularly that, that same Holy Spirit would help us when we turn off our devices at the end of this service or we leave this facility and we go out into our lives, our most intimate lives with our spouses, where it applies, and our children, our families, our friends, and where we work and where we go to school and where we buy and get our services throughout the week, that the same Holy Spirit would help us as Christ followers to live out what it means, what it looks like in tangible, physical ways what it looks like to be Christ's followers. We ask these mercies, of course, in his name. The name that is above every name, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. Your Son, our Savior and Lord. Amen. You may be seated. I have entitled this A Hope-Filled Promise because this text Is one of the most hope filled promises in the entire biblical text. And I have never met anyone at any time who has not needed this text that we are reading about this morning. Everything begins with God. And this is where John begins the main body of his letter in 1 John. And John uses, to start with, a contrast between light and darkness. There will be, this will be one of three claims that John will make about God's person. He says in his gospel in John chapter 4 verse 24, he claims that God is spirit. And then later in the book that we're looking at, 1 John, in 1 John chapter 4, verses 8 and 16, he says that God is love. But in our text, John tells us that God is light. John is the only one of the biblical authors and writers who makes these claims about God. And that God is light is stated both positively and negatively positively God is light because he is holy negatively stated John says that in him is no darkness at all now I read somewhere that scientists suggest that there is really no such thing as darkness that all the darkness is is the absence of light Now, if that is in fact true, then God is light because he is present. He is never absent. And as much as we may wonder sometimes, God is present in our world. He is present in our lives. He is present in our circumstances, and he is present in our situations of life. That brings us then to John's second contrast. The contrast between our having a relationship with God and at the same time, as we have a relationship with God, we also have sin. Now John reminds us this week as he did last week, That first of all, that we have fellowship, and of course the Greek word is koinonia, that we have fellowship together as the body of Christ, as the family of God, horizontally, you and me. But John also tells us and reminds us that we have fellowship with God, that we have a relationship with God vertically. We have a relationship with God, who is light. Just ponder that for a moment and say to yourself, say this, I have a relationship with God. Say it to yourself, I have a relationship with God. Now, John sets this up and he elaborates on it as uh, on this with a hypothetical Argument. In the sixth verses of our text, in five of them, John uses the word if. If five times in our six short verses, John uses the word if. He says, If we say, if I say, That we have fellowship with him, with God, while we walk in darkness. We lie and do not practice the truth. And John tells us two things about our relationship with God. The first one is this. Is that to walk in the light is simply to live in obedience and in faithfulness to God's truth or to God's word. By contrast... To walk in darkness is simply to live in disobedience and unfaithfulness to God's truth and God's word. But there's also this. He says, if we say that we have fellowship with him, with God, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now, the words do not track. Do not practice the truth literally means do not do the truth. Now, when we think about truth, truth is something that we know, it is knowledge, it is something that is intellectual. But John is saying that as people, you and I who have a relationship with God, truth is more than something we know, truth is something that we do. In other words, as Christ followers, we don't just believe in our faith, we do our faith. It is not just something we understand intellectually, it is something that is lived out in our lives. The late John Stott said, religion without morality is an illusion. Walking in the light is not just about knowledge. It's about our conduct. It's about our behavior. And then in verse 7, he says, And if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. That brings us to this the nature of our sin or the nature of sin. And the nature of sin is simply this, that you and I, we have it. The nature of sin is that this is our condition. It is not just that we do wrong things. It is that there is something wrong with us. There is something wrong in us. To say that we have sin is to say that we have, you and I, we have a moral problem, that there is an underlying principle at work in our lives, in yours and in mine. Not only do we have it, John says, but it has us. Not only do I have sin, not only do you have sin, but it also has us. Someone wrote that we are not sinners just because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. Now in verse 10, the last verse in our text... The focus of the nature of sin shifts from our condition to our actions and to our behaviors. That you and I, that we sin by nature and by choice. In other words, the nature of sin is inherent, it is inborn, it is intrinsic. Within us. And because of that, you and I, we have a tendency, we have a propensity toward disobedience and unfaithfulness. To deny this, John says that we are just deceiving ourselves. That's our first denial. Our second denial is of the biblical text, the entire biblical text from Genesis to Revelation, which tells us again and again that the nature of our sin and actions to our sin, or because of our sin, is a problem. Now, there's also this. Not only is it a denial that we are deceiving ourselves when we say we don't have sin, and not only are we denying the biblical text, but get this, we are also denying the fact that there are honest secular people who tell us that there is something wrong with us. For example, Philosophers and sociologists and psychiatrists and therapists and, and politicians are all writing books about how we should live, which sort of accents the reality of our human condition and our situation and our behaviors around the nature of sin. A bunch of years ago, Harvard psychologist, sorry, Harvard psychiatrist. Dr. Carl Minninger wrote a book entitled, Whatever Became of Sin. This is a Harvard psychiatrist. And in the book, he expresses his fears that sin has disappeared from our vocabulary. Not just the word, but the very sense of a universal understanding of wrongdoing. He went on and he lamented the declining sense of morality in our culture and our reluctance to take responsibility for our actions. And he was concerned about this impact that this might have not only on society as a whole, but on us personally, how physically and emotionally this would affect our well-being. I read a book a little while ago by, the, by an author by the name of Jacob Needleman. And Needleman is a secular philosopher. And he wrote a book called, Why Can't We Be Good? Well, after he wrote the book, all of the people reviewing the book and responding to the book didn't know what to do with Needleman's conclusion and his analysis of the state of humanity and the state of our world because of our human condition. Timothy Keller says, basically, everyone knows how we should live, but we cannot do it. That we all know what we ought to do, And how we should live, but we do not have the strength to do it. And somebody wrote that the nature of our sin is the biggest mystery of the human race and the biggest issue the human race has to face. Now, so we have talked about our denial, our biggest denial, our greatest denial is that we deceive ourselves and The fact that we deny the biblical text and we deny even what secular, uh, honest secular people are saying to us about our condition. But it's much more serious than that, John says. John says in verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, then we make God out to be a liar. And the truth is not in us. Now that's strong language. That when I say that I do not have sin, that I am making God out to be a liar, who wants that hung around their necks? Not me, thanks. So we have some options. We can deny our sin. We can ignore it. We can try not to think about it and play that mind game. We can make excuses for it and we can say that, you know, my sin is not really a problem. We can minimize it. We can rationalize it and say, you know what, hey, after all, I'm only human. We can try and cover it up. We can obsess over it. We can punish ourselves for it and we can wallow in guilt and shame and condemnation. Or we have another option. And the other option is that we can deal with it. Deal with it. Jerry Bridges said, sin more than anything else. Stands in the way of Christian growth. If we would grow as Christians, we must take it seriously and deal with it as God intends. The better option is to deal with our sin. And so that brings us then, that brings us to a statement that is one of the most hope filled promises. In the entire biblical text and to John's third contrast. The contrast between sin, our sin, and God's forgiveness. John says in verse 9, if we confess our sin, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here's what John is saying, that our sin is real, but so is God's forgiveness. Now, I want you to put your seatbelt on for a moment. Okay? Comfortable there. You all right? Everybody okay? Everybody okay at home? Okay, good. Now, we, you and I, me, you we may think that our sin is too big or too frequent so instead of focusing on god's forgiveness and cleansing we are weighed down by our own sense of guilt and shame now I've been around long enough to know that there are many people who struggle with guilt and shame. And not just unsafe people, I'm talking about Christian people, genuine, bona fide people who are born again, saved is the word we use, children of God, sons and daughters of God. That we are not able to accept God's forgiveness. We're not able to forgive ourselves. And we have a hard time letting go of the shame and guilt. Because somehow, because our sin is so great and it's so frequent, we have to punish ourselves. And sometimes it's a way that we think that we're going to earn freedom. Further... Even after we have experienced God's forgiveness and his cleansing, many of us still carry and live under the dark cloud of accusations. Our own accusations toward ourselves. The accusations of other people. And of course, we cannot forget Satan's accusations. And all of these, and some of these, and any of these, can cause us to pull away from God in needless remorse and regret. But it seems at times to me that these accusations are own, others and Satan's can form up into condemnation. Condemnation is serious because it undermines our assurance toward God. It robs us of our confidence in daily life. And it takes away our certainty about ourselves and our inclusion in God's kingdom and our involvement in the work of God's kingdom. And ironically, when Romans chapter eight, verse one says this, there is now what? No condemnation to us, to those who are in Christ Jesus. Some of us need to stamp this on somebody else's forehead that we see every day. So we live in the truth and the freedom of what the Bible says. The biblical text, the Bible, gives us three, at least three images, more than that, but three that I want to focus on this morning. Excuse me. Three images that help us understand the scope, the width, the depth, the magnitude of God's forgiveness. The first picture is east and west. And we know from Psalm chapter 103, verse 12, it says this, for as Far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Somebody once told me, and I checked it out and I think they're right, that we can start north on any place on earth and if we continue in that direction, we'll eventually be going south. But that's not true with east and west if we start west and keep going we will forever and for affinity be moving west we will never ever move east east north and south meet at the north pole but west and east never ever meet that's the picture of god's forgiveness The second picture is this, God's back. You didn't know that was in there, did you? This is from Isaiah chapter 38, 17. It says this, behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness, but in love, in love, in love, you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction, for you have cast my sins behind your back. When something is behind our back it's a little difficult to see. And that's the point. God has taken my sin, your sin, our sin and placed it behind his back. Uh, it's behind him. Get, get the play on words. It's behind him. This is what God wants us to do with our sin. Put it behind us. Put it behind him. Put it in the past where it belongs. And the last one, the last image is my absolute favorite. It's the sea. Now Micah, Micah the prophet in the Old Testament says this. He, God will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Now that's a great image right there. But listen to this. And you will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. How many of you are familiar with the phrase, the sea of God's forgetfulness? Anybody? Come on, Pastor Kevin, give it up. That's where the idea comes from. When Pastor Kevin and I and Leanne were kids 100 years ago, or some, laugh, 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 we used to sing a song in open session in Sunday school. It used to go like this. You ask me why I'm happy, and I will tell you why. Because my sins are gone. There underneath the blood of the cross of Calvary, as far removed as darkness is from light, in the sea of God's forgetfulness that's good enough for me. Praise God. My sins are gone. How many of you ever, let's see, there you go. I'm going to cut an album on songs Pastor Kevin and I sang 100 years ago. But that's how God sees our sin. And I love what somebody else added to it. He said, God throws our sins into the sea of his forgetfulness and posts a no fishing sign. But get this. He posts a no fishing sign for himself because he never remembers our sins. He posts a no fishing sign for us so we don't go fishing for past sins. He posts a no fishing sign for others so they don't go fishing for our past sins. And we all know a few people like that, don't we? And let's not be one of those people like that. And he, fos- he posts a no-fishing sign for Satan. One more. Isaiah says, forty-three twenty-five. I. I am God is speaking obviously. I am He who blots out your transgressions for My own sake, and I will remember. I will not remember your sins. You see, God is better at forgetting our sins than we are. And that brings us back to our text in the first John and two, verse nine, where it says, and if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I want you to notice, first of all, what it does not say. It does not say cover because that's an Old Testament con- context uh, concept. In the Old Testament, God covered sins, but in the New Testament, God cleanses, washes. Just like when you got up this morning and hopefully took a shower or a bath, you washed away the dirt. He cleanses us. Matter of fact, in case we're not sure, He actually tells us twice in this text of six verses. In verse 7 and verse 9, that he cleanses us two times. Forgiveness and cleansing. Forgiveness releases us from guilt. Shame, Rather, cleansing removes our shame. Let me say it again. Forgiveness releases us from our guilt. Cleansing removes our shame. Guilt, by the way, is the way we feel toward whatever thing we've done. Shame is what we feel toward ourselves about the thing we've done. It's personal. Shame is personal. Forgiveness takes care of our past, cleansing makes possible our future. God can forgive our sins because Jesus paid it. By his death on the cross, God can cleanse us of our sin because the blood of Jesus washes it away. But I also want you to note one other thing. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all. Now, I looked up the word all in the Greek Bible, and you know what it means? Absolutely. All. Completely, totally, everything. Not some, not partially, not the sins that we think He cannot forgive or cleanse. Not the secret sin that we have locked inside the deep, the secret closet of our hearts. Because you know what? God can take care of those sins, but I don't think He can forgive me this sin. Yes, He can. Because He cleanses us, He forgives us, and cleanses us from what? It's superlative. There's a hymn I love and one you love. And the third line goes like this My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. And this is the glorious thought that my sin, not in part, but the whole past, present, and future is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. And what's interesting, and what makes this verse, this text, the most hope filled promise that we are ever going to read, all we have to do is confess our sin. Do you know what confess means? To confess our sin is simply this it's an agreement. It's to confess our sin means that we see our sin as God sees it. That's all it means. We see our sin as being against the Holy God. that I don't just sin, I don't just sin against you. I sin against God first and foremost. Number two is that our sin is a serious problem. When I confess my sin, I'm saying, God, like this is the real deal here. This is a problem. This is serious. And when I confess my sin, what I'm saying to God is this that only God can deal with my sin in Jesus Christ. I just agree with God that I see my sin as God sees it, as against Him, as being serious, and that only He can deal with it through Jesus Christ. I mean, it's as simple as that. So, how about it? How about it this morning? Are you ready to deal with your sin? Are we ready to deal with our sin? Now, there are two groups of people that I'm talking about. We're going to go to communion in just a moment. And I'm going to invite the musicians to come. But while they're coming, don't get distracted. But listen to this. First of all, there there is a provision here for people in the room or those that are watching online or those that are going to be listening to the archive in a couple of weeks, months, years, whatever the case may be. You have never said yes to God's offer of love and forgiveness. You are not a Christian. You are not a believer. You're thinking about becoming one, but you haven't done it yet. This is for you. This is for you. This could be the day that you will become part of the family of God. All you got to do is confess your sin, that you have sinned against God, that your sin is serious and only God can deal with it through Jesus Christ. That's it. And the Bible says if we confess our sin and we agree with God about it and see our sin as God sees it, then you know what? He will forgive you and he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's group one. Group two, us who are believers. Now, I want you to know that this verse, John chapter 1, verse 9, is one of my favorite verses because it's one that I utilize the most. You know why? Because I am a filthy sinner. Oh, don't get too uppity on me. I know you are too. And I want you to know that the amount of times that I have quoted this verse back to God... Is unbelievable. You know why? Because I'm a sinner. And I say things and I think things and I do things that are just not Christ-like, not God-honoring. But I don't mind telling you that. You know why? Because I know the same is true in your life and in your life and in your life. So now, Christians, my brothers and sisters, here in the room at home, watching online you got a sin you need to fix great time to do it before communion you got a frequent sin you got a habit you got an addiction if we confess our sin there's no qualification he is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from what? all unrighteousness. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet in the room. And those of you online, and whatever group you're in this morning, there's a prayer of, can you give me the prayer of repentance, please, uh, Charles and Abel? Just put it up there. This is the best sinner's prayer I know. And what I want to do this morning before we come to communion is I want to walk all of us through this prayer of repentance. And here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read a line and you're going to read a line. And I'm going to ask everybody to read it. Now we can't read it with gusto because we can't sing, but read it loud enough so that it comes out of your mouth and you can hear your own voice and the same with you that's home. And the Bible says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from. Pray with me. I renounce Satan and all the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God. I renounce the evil powers of this world which corrupt and destroy the creatures of God. I renounce all sinful desires that draw me from the love of God. I turn to Jesus and accept Him as Savior. I put my whole trust in his grace and love. And I promise to follow and obey him as Lord. Amen. And whether you said that for the very first time, welcome to the family of God. Welcome to the forgiveness of sins and cleansing. You're free. Don't listen to the shame and the guilt and the accusations and the condemnation. All righteousness. All unrighteousness. And if in the room or watching online and you're a believer and you prayed that prayer, you can take communion today. And in just a moment, we are going to do that, we are going to receive communion together. and if you,